condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Behind the Headlines. It is October 1st, and it is, we're coming on the end of the week of Independence Week, and uh, I guess the start of another Independence Week. I'm Harrison Cayley. Joining me, as usual, are Elon Martin. Hi, everyone. Joe Quinn. Hi there. And Neil Bradley. Hello. I say Independence Week because... Um, earlier this week on Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday, can't remember which, um, Iraqi Kurdistan held its its own independence referendum uh, in the north of Iraq. And to, I guess, um, the widespread, almost unanimous um, displeasure of the entire world, uh, except for one state, which we will get into later in the show, but today, what we're going to start out with is another independence referendum going on as we speak in Spain, in Catalonia. So if you've been watching the news, I don't know if everyone's had a chance to, you know, check out their Twitter feeds or um, just any kind of um, mainstream news website that is covering it or even news channel, because the independence uh, referendum started this morning and in, I guess, after several measures that were taken by the Spanish government and authorities, other authorities over the past week or so, um, they started out with a bang, um, quite literally, this morning with uh, rubber bullets, you know, batons, beating people up, pulling, um, you know, taking away um, the ballot boxes, um, busting up the polling stations, closing down polling stations, tearing you know people out of the polling stations, and pretty much doing anything that possible, I guess, in their minds to stop the referendum from happening. And of course, that has triggered a massive kind of protest and backlash against the Spanish authorities, only kind of reinvigorating and um, um, I guess you know egging on these the Catalonians to want their independence independence even more. So that's kind of the situation we've got right now. The last I heard, there were something like over 460 um, civilians injured by police so far that have been treated, only too seriously, however. And you can see videos of, of these sorts of things going on. You see police kind of shoving and kicking grandmas and um, just people of all ages and um, smashing through glass doors to get at polling stations, ripping ballot boxes out and uh, confiscating them. Um, there are reports that the Spanish authorities have tried to, or have um, kind of, I guess, infiltrated and shut down the computer network that the Catalonian government has has been using to, um, to collate the, the data and basically compare voters and so who's voted at one station to make sure they haven't voted at others so that was shut down and then the the catalonian government switched to um uh um what do you call it a phone kind of network so using phones iphones smartphones to um to take over the same functions and basically it's just uh, it's pretty chaotic right now 
um, with the level of violence going on. And um, but apparently, at least you'll you'll see different figures. But apparently, a, around ninety percent of the polling stations are still open, and people are being encouraged to you know find the ones that are open. Of course, there are what hundreds of thousands of of Catalonians and something like twenty five thousand. Spanish security forces that are kind of deployed in the whole area to try to shut down the referendum. So it looks like it, you know, it will continue to to go on. It will probably finish. Now, how accurate or you know how um, cleanly the vote will be done, given all of the you know confiscated ballots and technical dif- difficulties and all that, is hard to say. But it looks like at the very least, you know, the the vote will go on, and we will will probably hear some results. Um, and I don't know. Anyone have any any immediate thoughts so far on just what's going on? Well, Spain won't recognize it either way. No, no. You have they're as determined to shut down uh, this <clears throat> referendum as uh, the Catalonians are to push it through. Mm-hmm. Um, we heard announcements of this, I think, a month or two ago. Uh, basically, uh, Catalonia is uh, upset for being or having to carry a lot of the um, financial support of Spain. Um, they, uh, the region produces 25% of the nation's exports, it says, hosts 23% of industry and receives 11% of government expenditure. So there's this kind of, uh, uh, inequality, uh, that they're seeing economically, uh, with, with the rest of the body of Spain. Uh, what's interesting also is that, um, you know, they, they do have, uh, to some extent a, um, a different uh, culture, uh, or if not culture, uh, language. Um, nine million uh, Catalonians uh, speak their own language, which is not derivative of Spanish, apparently. Uh, I didn't know that uh, until just reading this. So there, there is this kind of, um, uh, you know, although they're strongly linked to the, the rest of Spain, there is a there are some differences there uh, in terms of culture and language and other things. Um, but, uh, cool. yeah, so economic reasons. Um, and that that would seem to be one of the main uh, reasons for wanting to separate itself from, from what I've gathered. Economics. Joe, is, is the language substantially different? Hmm. That's <laughs> not so clear cut. Um, just no. on one one figure Alan mentioned nine million. I think the population seven. is seven point five. So I'm not sure what your sources are, Alan, but be careful with. <laughs> so I'm gonna yeah, get, um, I'm going to get back well, to I think, that. Well, I think okay. he, he may be talking about the um, Balearic Islands, uh, islands off the coast of kind of mid Spain, or they also speak Catalan, although they're not they're not part of Catalonia. Okay, in Catalonia, they're not part of the province, but they speak Catalan. Maybe they're included in the figures for... Yeah, because okay. I, I think, Ilan, didn't, didn't you say 9 million Catalan speakers? I think or, so, yeah. Yeah, Okay. I, I, I was suggesting it might have been part of uh, Catalonia proper, but that that's the total number. It, it could oh, be speakers, that, they, yeah. that they're speaking in other places. Mm-hmm. They are, yeah, in uh, Mallorca. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, the language is kind of like... There's French and it's kind of like a version of French and Spanish. Spanish certainly, it's it's a Romance language. It's not uh, that divorced from from the language and languages in that region of kind of south southwestern Europe. You know, 
Uh, there's probably there's a bit of there's quite a lot of French in there, derivatives of French, Spanish, maybe a bit of Italian thrown in as well. You know, there's a lot of regional dialects in Spain. Uh, not a lot, but a few regional dialects in Spain, and obviously there's regional dialects in other parts of uh, European countries, like in France. Uh, there's Occitan and and different things. So um, Basque, yes. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's obviously. I mean, there's, it's hard to say where where this whole independence business came from. Obviously, there's a historical uh, reason uh, or motivation for for independence in, in Catalonia, um, of all the autonomous regions. In Spain, there are uh, Catalonia is probably uh, up, well, maybe not the most. Probably the Basque country is is the most uh, distinct from from Spain and Spanish, um, and second would be Catalonia, let's say. But um, I mean, those two parts of Spain, the Basque country, which is over in the north northwest, and Catalonia in the northeast, are are the two historically the two most the wealthiest parts of Spain, the most natural resources are produced, the most have done for quite a long time. And both of those <coughs> uh, regions of Spain have the strongest uh, the, the strongest history of of independence or independence movements. Uh, of course, in the Basque country, there was, uh, there was uh, an armed um, kind of separatist movement for about 30 years uh, over the past you know, three or four decades. So, um, yeah, the thing about it is, is that, you know, I don't know where it comes from. And I haven't read anyone or haven't heard anyone say, uh, give a really good explanation as to why mm-hmm. uh, they want independence, you know, uh, apart from the standard, well, the economic angle and the historical angle. I mean, whether or not their grievances whether or not there's a historical grievance, or whether it's just is it politicians just pushing for this and you know and um, kind of uh, galvanizing the what independence minded or what what kind of separate identity there is in Catalonia, galvanizing that amongst the people and and pushing for this. I mean, in, in recent history, it it was since the Spain went through a pretty bad time as a result of the. Uh, the financial crisis, global financial crisis, uh, youth unemployment was up to 25% uh, after 2008. Um, so it got got hit pretty hard in that respect. And I think, and it's since then, since about 2008 really, that uh, this independence movement in Catalonia has, has gained a lot of legs, you know. Um, uh, so in that sense, there's a, while there has always been a financial aspect to it, i.e. Catalonia was, is, is the, richest, one, the richest part of, uh, of Spain. Um, it's, in the last 10 years or so since the financial crisis and Spain in general being hit hard and um, a lot of resources coming from Catalonia going to other regions of Spain that, that were hit harder, let's say. Um, and that seems to have, but that's just, that seems to have pushed the whole independence thing to the front and given it legs. But um, again, that's that's economics, you know. Um, Spain has more or less come out of that kind of recession mostly at this point. It's, it's back, it's back in fairly good uh, a fairly good standing. So, but I suppose you can't once you've started the independence movement, you can't really stop it, especially if there's politicians in the Spanish and uh, the Catalonian government, which is there's more or less a separate. And Catalonia has the I think has the most autonomy of all regions in Spain. Um, they they get to obviously they have their own language, and uh, the Catalan is the pretty much the primary, the main language in in, in Catalonia. Um, they have quite a lot of leeway with 
in terms of their own finances. They have their own kind of police force. I mean, you don't have really uh, a separate police force. You have a national police in the rest of Spain, uh, but in Catalonia, have a they have a different name, obviously, because it's in Catalan, and they're somewhat more independent. Uh, they're seen as the police force for this region, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but back in, I think, in, back in 2004, 2005, uh, the Catalan government went to the, the the Spanish central government in Madrid and negotiated uh, more freedom um, for Catalonia in terms of kind of different things, in terms of governance and also in terms of taxes. And uh, and that was secured via the, through the High Court, they submitted these requests and it has to be done through the High Court in Spain, in Madrid, and that was approved. And then um, the uh, that was, there was a, a challenge to that, basically. Uh, I think particularly in 2008, after the, uh, the popular party, the conservative party got back into power, they kind of, uh, they kind of got a lot of, right-winger conservative judges into the high court and um, and they were very happy that they were able to overturn the decision, the concessions that were given to Catalonia um, in lieu of independence, let's say. Uh, and it took about six or seven years for that to happen. Initially, they petitioned for Catalonia to petition for it in about 2004, I think, 2003, 2004. And then it took, um, and then it was approved, but then there was a long process of them, of the, of the, the conservative party in in Madrid, going through the process of getting the judges in place to be able to overturn that decision and renege on the on the agreement that was made, and that's when then not long after that, then you had the first kind of um, uh, in two thousand fourteen, you had the first uh, referendum, which was a non-binding referendum on independence, and something like eighty percent of the of the of the result was eighty percent voted for independence, but only about 40% yeah. of the population actually voted. And of course, it was announced in advance that this was non-binding. So uh, I think that's maybe that motivated. That was a reason why a lot of people didn't actually vote. So, well, if it's non-binding, what's the point, you know? But it's hard to say. In this case, they presented it as... Binding, yeah. Uh, this is it. Yeah. And that would explain the, well, the, the bigger hype in the run-up to it, hmm. followed by... Um, Madrid cracking heads over this. Yeah. Um, and they brought in, you know, uh, I mean, the, the other historical aspect to it is um, is under Franco. You know, Fra- Spain was a, a dictatorship until 1975 mm-hmm. under Franco from 1936, more or less, until um, um, 1939, let's say, after the Spanish Civil War, uh, until 1975 was a dictatorship officially and was pretty, pretty uh, conservative in that respect, you know, under Franco. And under Franco, under the dictatorship, uh, all non-hardcore Castilian Spanish, you know, traditional Spanish uh, uh, parts of the uh, cultural aspects were, were suppressed. So Catalan culture and Catalan languages suppressed, same in the Basque country. Um, they weren't allowed to actually speak there officially, they weren't allowed to speak Catalan. It was banned. Um, so and in 1979 was when Catalonia actually got their own uh, parliament. Uh, after Franco, Franco died in 1975, Spain becomes a democracy. A few years later, the Catalonia gets uh, a lot of independence. So um, I think a lot of Catalans, there's that history there, and a lot of Catalans and Basque people, I would say, uh, don't like the central Spanish authorities because yeah. they still associate, they still 
reckon that there's a contingent within conservative Spanish politics in, in Madrid that is basically uh, is basically you know kind of authoritarian conservative <clears throat> Francoist basically like a kind of dictatorship you know uh, the civil war am I right in saying that it originated in or was particularly brutal in what's today Barcelona Catalonia I'm not sure about I mean I'm sure it played out throughout the country but did it begin the battles was it particularly intense in other words what I'm angling at here is is, is there a fault line there of the um, kind of hotbed of the leftist Republican side in the war versus the conservative Franco side Yeah. would you find that it was Barcelona Catalonia that was a a primary base or the base, the the origin point for the left in in uh, in the Spanish Civil in War. In the Civil War, yeah. I'm not sure you could localize it in any one particular place, but uh, I think there was a lot of a lot of yeah anti. I mean, uh, it was strong. It was strong in that region. Yeah, I mean, any any part of a country that sees itself as slightly independent would definitely be one of the most uh, strident ardent, opponents or yeah. ardent opponents of, uh, of of a, of a dictatorship. You know, and I mean, it was. I mean, you're talking not. I mean, 1975 doesn't seem that long ago to me, you know, but I suppose it's what it's like forty years ago now, forty five years ago. Um, but it's still not that relatively not that long ago when Spain was under dictatorship and um I mean it was pretty pretty oppressive. Uh and particularly the the, the there's two types of same in France actually there's two types of police. One is the national police, which are just your average kind of cops and then you have this uh um in in Spain you have the Guardia Civil, which are the civil guard as it translates, and there they would have been very much the <clears throat> the kind of enforcers of of conservatism and uh, kind of under Franco and stuff, and to a certain extent still are today. You know, there's a there's a, there's a definitely a a hardcore right wing conservative element within the Guardia Civil, and the same in, in France. Really, you know, they tend to be the more yeah. of the traditionalists. You know, and uh, and those those guys are kind of scary guys. You know, I remember my dad telling a story about uh, in 1970 or something like that being in 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 Spain, actually in Catalonia somewhere. And, Walking along the walking along the beach, or, or the promenade in front of the beach, uh, in the middle of summer, uh, <laughs> with his, his shirt off. So he had shorts on, something. He took his shirt off, and a guy, one of the Guardia Civil, you know, they did these kind of three-pointed hats, come up some with a, come up to him with a with a baton and tapped him on the shoulder and said, "Put your shirt on." In Spanish, obviously, but you weren't allowed to, you weren't allowed to take your shirt off in the middle of summer walking along a beach promenade. Um, that was frowned upon, you know. So that it's that element. To which your dad turned around and said, "What is this, Saudi Arabia?" Yeah. No. no. <laughs> so, uh, so you know, it's it's that. It, I suppose it's that uh, kind of regressive, traditionalist, kind of uh, very conservative uh, element that uh, Catalonians, a lot, some Catalonians, certainly the ones who are pro-independence, would would see as another reason other than economics. To, to get yeah. away from get away from Madrid and this element that seems to still be there as far as they're concerned <clears throat> of a overweening kind of authoritarian uh, government in Madrid that you know obviously and I mean of course what's happening today with all these beatings and stuff uh, and the way they're I mean they're shipping in police from other parts of Spain and probably picking policemen who are very much pro a united Spain to put them into Barcelona to go and beat heads because I mean that's what every country does right I mean mm-hmm. you don't really allow in, in these kind of contentious issues you don't allow your local police force to 
to uh, to govern it because they would probably have sympathies with the local people. So you you put, tell them to stay at home, and then you bring in people from from far away who don't give a shit and will beat the heads of these people because they don't feel any identify with yeah. any identification with them. They're clearly, I mean, they're, they're clearly under instruction to 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 make a showing. Yeah. Now apparently there are some two thousand stations, polling stations, and that's despite what would normally be used as polling stations being closed down or shut off or denied access. They've set up alternative places like schools. Um, but as Harrison pointed out, I mean, they're they're not going to be able to physically stop even even a sizable minority or a chunk of them, a third. I think you said 90% are probably still open. Yeah, that's what that's the Catalans yeah, say. Yeah, but there are so many. I mean, it's it's not, a, so it's clearly not about physically stopping it, but about showing their force, you know, mm-hmm. intimidating people. Mm-hmm. They clearly don't care about the public's reaction internationally because that's obviously going to be condemning them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, there's, there's someone in the, in the chat room has just mentioned that, you know, that in the Basque country, Basque country actually has more autonomy in terms of uh, the taxes that they pay to the to central government um, than Catalonia does. And the Catalans actually are want that level of of uh, freedom over their taxes, over what taxes they pay. I.e., uh, you don't. There's no established portion. Uh, based on income, whatever or whatever way they work it out, that every year this is how much you pay. You know, based on your your tax revenues, you pay X twenty percent, thirty percent, whatever it is. Um, that in the Basque country, it's uh, it's on a, it's done on a year by year basis. They, they negotiate. You know, okay, we got more, so many taxes this year. Uh, how much do you actually want? Mm, well, we don't necessarily agree with that. What about so you kind of almost as if you bargain or haggle with Madrid in terms of how much tax you're going to pay? That's more freedom. Uh, the user, uh, the, the listener to the show today claims that if that was allowed to Catalonia, there wouldn't be any independence movement. But I'm not sure if that's the case, you know, because I think I would say this is more this is at this point and after several years of, of uh, many years, let's say, of, a, of an independence movement, that it has provoked more than simple, simply uh, Financial considerations no. in the average person yeah. in Catalonia. There's certainly certainly a certain percentage of the population of Catalonia who are who are also feeling the, the stirrings of, of 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 national identity or, or yeah. you know cultural identity in this as well. It's not just about I would get an extra you know couple of grand a year or something, or there might be more money for infrastructure in Catalonia. Blah blah blah. blah you know. I have another anecdote. Um... A friend of mine in Scotland, her mother says, no reason not to not to believe her, but her story was that she fled early 70s, Franco, she's from Catalonia somewhere, um, to live, to emigrate to Scotland. And it was because of um, repressions. Her father was... I think her father was killed or involved in some way. So she, as the offspring, was on a list somewhere. And so that's only two generations back. Right. You know, it's not that far away. Yeah. And all that takes it is a general crisis, like the economic, financial mm-hmm. situation. And those subsurface things can come back be, out. Yeah. Back. Absolutely. I mean, it takes quite a long time for that, for his, historical entities to just disappear, you know, they, they tend to hang out, hang around for a long time, and even when they appear to, to be gone, they can be, they can come back out very easily, you know, given, uh, given the, the right conditions, and 
Um, yeah, but it's just it's amazing to me actually to watch see the videos of what the police are doing in in Catalonia. What the police are, you know, because you have the local police, the Mossos, the uh, Squadra, who, who are the local police force in Catalonia. That's their name. Um, there's there's videos of them actually protecting some voting stations uh, so that people can vote. And then you have, and you actually have videos of confrontation between the, the police that are brought in from elsewhere in Spain and these local police, basically. Um, so, what what strikes me about about this heavy heavy handed approach? I mean, so there were videos, Harrison, you were mentioning of them, like basically throwing people downstairs in yeah. polling stations, pulling women out by the hair, knocking old grannies over, you know, pretty brutal. I mean, firing rubber bullets. Yeah, it seems. Um, a bit uh, unreasonable or, or illogical from the point of view of, of <laughs> Madrid authorities to do this because if they wanted to uh, uh, provoke more nationalistic or independence, my, uh, you know, minded people, um, provoke them to to coming out and and demanding independence, this is a way to go about it. You know, I mean, did, what did they exactly. expect was going to happen with social media these days? You're going to if you send these guys in and give them carte blanche to kind of beat heads. To, uh, in the act of repressing a vote, people simply going to exercise the fundamental basis of so-called so of so-called democracy, which is putting a piece of paper with an X on, on it uh, beside a name in a ballot box, and you're you're beating them to stop them doing that. Uh, you're not really doing yourself any favors in terms of uh, you know you know winning the argument or, or convincing certainly people in Catalonia. That you're a you're you're a good uh, partner for for negotiations. That you're a reasonable partner. I mean, but then look at it from the Madrid uh, government's or authorities' point of view. Uh, I suppose they think they've decided they they've whether it's true or not. Maybe it's true. Maybe they have inside information. They realize that uh, this this time this vote for independence being binding and all that kind of stuff. Um, was really a done deal. If, if if they let it go ahead, then Catalonia was going to become eventually at some point uh, declare independence, and they would lose all that lovely money. Um, and of course, no country likes to uh, likes to see any part of its territory break away. Um, well, because, Joe, just uh, getting back yeah. to a point you made a moment ago, uh, the the Catalonian leader Carles uh, Puigdemont said. Uh, the unjustified, disproportionate, and irresponsible violence of the Spanish state today has not only failed to stop Catalans' desire to vote, but has helped to clarify all the doubts we had to resolve today. It's sort of saying, you know, look, uh, you're, you're, you've just given the world proof of exactly, you know, what you are. Uh, mm, and why and, people, and, why, and, and why we want it depends. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, on another uh, on another level, you know, we saw the attacks in in Barcelona uh, just a few weeks ago. Uh, very interesting timing, um, where where mm. these cars are ramming people, the stabbings, uh, and and we've gotten very little. I mean, it, it looks like yet another false flag operation designed to of some description, yeah, uh, of some description. Um, you know, yet again, uh, cr crazy Muslims. Uh, so-called, uh, doing their thing. In the meantime, you know, they, they've all been killed pretty much, except for one, I think. Uh, and, and it just feels like this is a, uh, a deep state message to the people, given the timing. Um, mm -hmm. You know, uh, 
you have something to fear. Um, you know, th- this fear response, it's just, uh, mm. we're, we're going to shut you down one way or the other. Um, so, well, the, the timing is definitely, <clears throat> I mean, I think everyone would have noticed the timing is, is weird because it's so close to this big political issue. But for the life of me, I, I can't see how, what that message is in terms of a desired outcome for this result. You know? Well, I mean, because but how, how would it sway it? I mean, you've, uh, we've seen them. We've seen this happen many times in the past, where uh, the only conclusion, if you allow for the idea that it was some kind of a a put up job, you know, that it was a, a setup in yeah. some way, that it was a, a, a some element of the state was involved in orchestrating this kind of a terror attack. The only, in many many occasions in the past, it seems the only conclusion, the only benefit. That, that our goal that was to be derived from it was, or to be attained was the um, was reminding the people that, uh, like you said, that they have something to fear and they need authority. They need central authority to make them more into authoritarian followers. And I suppose in this situation, it would have swayed some people, or they hoped, if this is the case, that they would hope that uh, it would sway some people to to cling to the bosom of, you know, Big Daddy in Madrid type thing. Uh, do daddies oppose them? I don't know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> and to um, you know, and, and not to go their own way because small little country like Catalonia, you know, the big scary, big scary Muslim, world out Muslim, there, Muslim terror threat. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to be able to handle that on your own, and you need authority. You know, so I think those kind of things are meant to operate at a quite a uh, subliminal almost level uh, mm-hmm. or a deeper emotional level. Let's say where people just, you know, people people generally don't generally people generally form their opinions on things largely based on their emotions anyway. So if you can affect people's emotions, then in theory you can affect the outcome of their quote-unquote thinking process, which really isn't a thinking process at all. It goes on behind the scenes and eventually it pops into the into the uh, the conscious mind preformed. Here's what I think, you know. But there's a whole history to, to that thought process that you're probably not aware of, you know, that uh, was informed by emotional considerations, etc. And you're not, by saying that, you're not necessarily suggesting that the Barcelona attacks were in part or in whole a put-up job by the central Madrid government. Well, maybe that's what I'm saying. If that's the case, right, okay. then that would be the that for me that's the only reason. If they're linked in some way, if those terror attacks in, in Barcelona, and it's a bit coincidental for sure, coming you know five or six, four or five weeks before uh, for this referendum vote, uh, if if they were linked to this referendum, uh, i.e., if they were if there was a state state involvement in it, and it was to have an impact on the referendum, then it would seem that. The only thing I can think of is that it, it was to influence the, the people, the population of Catalonia, to be yes. more inclined to stay with uh, the authorities, uh, stay within the central authority uh, state. Now, I don't know if that, that's the way it works out in people's minds, if, if that is actually, if that's the effect that it has. I can imagine that in a certain situation it would have the opposite effect, you know, where people would say, well, um, Madrid uh, isn't doing enough to protect mm-hmm. us, and we'd be better off on our own if we're smaller. We have better control of our borders. Uh, we we have better control of our you know internal security, etc. Uh, then we have a better chance of not being attacked by crazy Muslims uh, if uh, if we're independent. So let's have yeah. independence. You know, I don't know. Well, it's not very clear to me that that's. Go ahead. That, that was kind of the Catalan government's response. Like in the weeks after the attack, um, they seem to be. Like playing their own PR game, basically saying, "Oh well, this you know, even though this happened, the police response has been great, and we just show that you know yeah. we're doing our jobs and we can take care of ourselves." So they, you mm. know, despite 
you know, well, even if there was a, a kind of agenda on official Spain's part, the the Catalan government kind of um, hoisted them on their petard a little bit to stole to their thunder, of, yeah, yeah, to kind of yeah, exactly, steal their thunder. Mm. Well, the yeah. other component of all this is that you know all of this, all of these cracking of heads of the kind of Spanish police state and trying to um, quash this referendum right now. It's terrorism also, pure and simple. I mean, right. well, how else How else do you describe it? it it's, it's putting people in fear of their safety and their lives for trying to, uh, you know, affirm what is basically a very democratic uh, uh, initiative on yeah, their part. For a, basically for a political purpose. Yes. I just think one thing we haven't mentioned yet is that uh, one of our chatters earlier in the show linked to uh, Wikipedia listing the polling data from the past several months. And one of the things that strikes strikes me about the polling data, there's like about 10 different polls that were that have been taken since uh, March, so March to September. And while the majority of them favor a yes vote, um, in all of the in none of the polls is there a majority yes vote vote. it's it's in the like high 30s to the mid 40s. So in all of these polls, only up to I think the highest the highest percentage of yes in any of these polls is forty four percent, and the highest uh, no vote in in some of these polls, even though they're the the minority of polls, two of the polls have a, a, a no vote of forty nine percent forty eight point six. So <clears throat> there's that to consider also that. Um, it's not a clear, even a clear-cut issue in Catalan, in Catalonia. Like we'll be talking about Kurdistan in a bit. In Kurdistan, at least officially, you know, according to the the Kurdistan regional government, the the results were like ninety-three percent yes for independence. So we don't have, and same thing with with Crimea, where there was like an overwhelming support for the independence movement. It looks like in Catalonia, it's pretty equivocal. Like there's it, there's not a huge, like a, a huge majority either way for for this independence movement. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, but then that makes me wonder why the Spanish government just uh, if they if they had that information, why they didn't uh, let it go ahead? You know, yeah. um, I mean, it would be a real coup uh, for the Spanish government if the the Catalonian government has this uh, this referendum and it comes out that mm-hmm. a majority said no. Well, done, done deal forever. That's it. Close. It's probably over. very risky, though. If... It's very risky, but I mean, what's the alternative? The alternative is what they're doing, which is beating people's heads. And I mean, I don't think they're going. Maybe they think they can, but I don't think they're going to be able to put this kind of genie back in a jar. If this, you know, and I mean, we've just seen some videos of what went on, and I mean, I don't know. Uh, it looks pretty bad. This this will definitely uh, galvanize the pro independence movement in. In, in in Catalonia and well, it's, 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 it's emboldened it and strengthened it I think as a result of what they've done I mean yeah. and it's got a lot more popular support so if actually whatever the number would have been if they had allowed the referendum to go ahead cleanly that number is now if it ever happens again that, now, that number is now going to be increased whatever the result was going to be mm-hmm. it, uh, whether it was more for yes or more for no it's definitely going to be more for yes uh from now on. Right. But what's amazing also is that uh, Kurdistan, you know, crazy backward Middle Eastern Muslim land with no democracy, they just had uh, a referendum and there were no beating of heads. Mm-hmm. Nobody beat anybody's heads. And loads of countries around them were against it. Uh, in fact, the country of which Kurd- Iraqi Kurdistan 
is apart, i.e. Iraq, was extremely against and made all sorts of threats and stuff and had like military maneuvers with Turkey and all this kind of stuff. But still, the referendum went ahead. You know, so, and yet over in freedom-loving Western democracies, heads are being beat. I mean, is that, it's a bit of an inversion of what you expect to see, really, isn't it? Yeah, there are all kinds of contradictions coming up here. There's democracy, what is it? You know, people have said, well, this is terrible, my democratic rights. Well, they're going to learn in through watching this process, again, that you don't really have it unless it's sanctioned from on high. Um, and then, then there's the um, outside of Madrid versus Barcelona here, you've got all these other separatist movements mm-hmm. all over Europe. And people are out in the streets in Brittany and northwest of France today in support of this movement. It's not such a big movement in, in that part of France, but there are many places. I mean, northern Italy is seriously talked about separating from the south. Mm-hmm. Venice within the north of Italy. Bavaria within southern Germany. Flanders within Belgium. And of course, we had the Scottish referendum, which was probably stitched up a few years ago. Um, well, having said that, Neil, what's the, lead, what's the common um, link here? Well, um, there's one theory out there there as to the common link. There is a theory. The dominant conspiracy theory is that Vladimir Putin is (laughs) scheming to divide Europe. I'm serious. They have put out serious policy papers. Um, NATO Stratcom has been furtively catapulting the propaganda for a few years now with leaked intelligence reports and yada, yada. Um, That... um, what we're seeing in Europe is part of a trend because the Russians have infiltrated European mines, if not their actual political economic systems. And yeah, it's, it's Vlad's fault. So that's one outrageous conspiracy theory, which le- leads me to suggest that there's probably in large part in some sort of a natural consequence of a greater crisis in the West. In this case, in Europe, um, it's people. People. People kind of are starting to realize they're not free, and they like that word, and they would like some of that freedom, whether it's a bit more money in their pocket or more rights to do and say as they wish. Um, and as the freedom as the freedom index decreases, as it has steadily declined since nine eleven, in particular. Um, I think people are feeling that pressure, and it's it's this is how it's coming out. Namely, well, my local area, my region, we're we're breaking from it, and we're going our own way. Um, but it's not so much in a kind of an. <laughs> it's part only partially historical, partially cultural, partially ethnic or linguistic um, basis for it. I mm. think a big fracture point in it is the increasing disparity between the haves and the have not. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, econ- yeah. it's financial and economic. I mean, that's, that's a positive spin on it, uh, on, on the situation of these independence movements, is that if you can find a thread in each of them where uh, the people are reacting, the people are pro-independence, wherever it may be, uh, in reaction, at least in part, to a corrupt central authority ruling over them. 
that as the and it has, I mean, in case you haven't noticed over the past 10 or 15 years, you know the levels of corruption and the exposure of the levels of corruption within Western so-called democracies that have, has come out has uh, has been pr- pretty high. You know, you've had many, many scandals. And I think a lot of people, although they don't know all the details, let's say they have a general, uh, the, the general attitude amongst many people in, West, in Western European or in, or in European countries is that politicians are a corrupt bunch of scumbags. Uh, so if you have that as a general, you know, in the general awareness, let's say, uh, and then you have in a specific region up the possibility or a history uh, where a part of a country in this corrupt state, uh, where a lot of people know that it's a corrupt state, um, have a history of the potential, the possibility of uh, and independ- independence for them away from this the, these corrupt politicians and central government, then it's not surprising that that would have have uh, have gained traction uh, over the past ten or fifteen years. You know, um, but I don't know if it's a good thing or not. I mean, I can imagine it would be quite because it's so polemic and uh, the, the Catalonia thing is so pole- polemic, uh, and as we're seeing today, very can you know easily. Descended to violence. Uh, I'm not sure if it's actually if it would actually be a good thing. You know, I mean, certainly it would shake things up, uh, and it's difficult for me anyway to see that that's a bad thing because the status quo doesn't seem to be uh, too good these days. So anything that you could say, you could look at it in the sense of anything that shakes up the status quo is a good thing. But you know, I don't know. I mean, it would be a difficult time, I'd say, for uh, I mean, Spain would be hit pretty hard. By losing that kind of uh, revenue uh, income, uh, it would t- take a f- take it down a couple of pegs in the international standing in terms of uh, uh, nation states uh, and the wealth of nation states if Catalonia would become independent. But then there would be a really pretty bad, you know, for a while anyway, it would be certainly a pretty bad relationship between any new independent Catalonia and the Spanish the Spanish government, rather the, Span- the rest of Spain. Um, I think as a general rule, most people. My sense is that most people in the rest of Spain are against uh, independence for Catalonia and quite uh, quite uh, aggressively against it. I think the Catalonians are a bunch of, you know, but <laughs> a bunch of bad people, a bunch and, of rebels. Uh, well, they're, they're, you know, they think they deserve good kicking and put back in their place. Basically, who do they think they are? You know, um, so certainly, I don't think the future for in the short term, anyway, it would be very good for uh, relationships between a new a relationship between New Catalonia and Spain. Yeah. And then, of course, the EU's hand behind them, saying that uh, sitting there in the background, saying that they don't agree with the independence movement and that they uh, Catalonia would have to reapply and blah 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 blah. But of course, that's what they say to try and stop the independence the referendum happening. If they had, if Catalonia actually became independent, then the EU may change their tune pretty quickly. You know, depending on certainly from an economic point of view. You know. Mm. Um, the big test is going to be, and it, so far the results look like it's failing. Um, the test is: can the so-called civilized West that lectures everyone else about what is and is not democratic, right? And when you can, I cannot have a referendum and do as you wish, <clears throat> Crimea. Um, the big question is: can they resolve this at least halfway decently? 
or there's a snowball from here from cracking heads to mass arrests to shooting people to, you know, I mean, it's like we pointed out, not that long since Madrid was doing that. So um, it'll be interesting because it, it, it happens inside an EU, which, of course, is the flagship, the standard bearer for telling the world how to behave civilized in a civilized manner. So they'll be caught between a rock and a hard place between siding with Spain doing as it wishes Mm-hmm. and ensuring that, you know, let's talk this out. So in an ideal world, in quotes, um, if there were no, if there were no violent consequences and risks of conflagration spreading, I mean, we're in the region right next to this. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows where it goes from here? Um, I think then yeah. all power to the Catalonians and sure, why not? They want to be in the EU anyway, they say. So, yeah, an EU of regions rather than nation states. Yep. But, yeah, people aren't that civilized, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And they only learn that when it's too late, when they're already back to killing each other after maybe 100 years of relative civility. Yeah. I think... So there's enormous risk of, of chaos. Yeah, uh, especially, you know, well, yeah, it's just, if people start shooting back, that usually usually doesn't happen when people start, you know, shooting rubber bullets back at the police and it escalates. That only happens in places like Ukraine when you have, uh, <laughs> when, when you have an outside uh, forces, outside state actors uh, funding a bunch of snipers and stuff. But um, usually people just get bludgeoned by the cops and then they go home and nurse their wounds and grumble about it for a while and stuff. Um, but the the strange—I I don't think there's any doubt uh, that I mean I've seen figures and stuff that 75% of the Catalan population wanted the referendum to happen, and this gets back to the idea of what the result would have been. We don't know. Uh, maybe I don't know if we will know, depending on what results they produce or whatever. But uh, 75% of the population wanted the referendum to happen. Um, that doesn't mean that 75% of those people we're going to vote yes for independence. Mm-hmm. Half of them or more uh, may have voted no. But so by stopping this referendum or attempting to stop this referendum to happen, happening in this brutal, brutal way, uh, they certainly, the Spanish authorities are certainly uh, turning 75% of the population against, of the Catalan population against them. Because yeah. 75% of the Catalan population wanted the referendum to go ahead. I, they thought, What's your problem? Chill out. Just have the referendum, you know. But you know. So, well, maybe um, unless we have any more thoughts on Catalonia, we can always come back to it at the end of the show. Also, um, I was wondering before we get to Kurdistan, if maybe we can kind of broaden the conversation and ask the question: When are referendum movements like this or independence movements justified? Now, the reason I ask that um, is because I read something recently this year um, by a Russian politician. It was uh, kind of a semi-memoir type book by Dmitry Rogozin, who is currently one of the deputy prime ministers, and he's been involved with Russian politics since like the mid-90s, and was actually um, kind of like an opposition type guy who who had his own political party, but then joined up with, uh, with 
Putin's government essentially in Medvedev um, just because um, he thought he could he could basically do what he wanted to do within the system. And he's um, he seems like a pretty interesting guy, pretty decent guy too. And he has a chapter in his book talking about referendum movements because he was involved like on the ground, um, you know, throughout the throughout the nineties, even before he got into politics, and all the kind of all the stuff that was going on in the the former Soviet republics. And so he talks about Crimea and he talks about um, Ossetia and Abkhazia, and so he he kind of responds to the rhetorical question. Well, you know, Russia always says, like in regards to Chechnya, that um, you know the Russian state is is uh, basically the Russian government stands for the sovereignty and the territorial integrity of the Russian state. And that means that any independence movements are illegal and unconstitutional. And that's why, you know, they, they cannot happen and they will not happen. And yet Russia supported and, you know, annexed after the, um, the referendum movement in Crimea for Crimea to leave Ukraine and join Russia. So doesn't that contradict Russia's statement um, and its belief not only about itself but about other countries because that's kind of Russia's diplomatic go-to statement whenever something like this arises it, is that they support the territorial integrity, the existing status quo of any given country and their territorial territorial integrity. And so the way he responded to that is that, well, yes, and he, he doesn't see a contradiction um, because he says there are always exceptions. And the exceptions only come about in his mind when there is a a kind of imminent threat to the people that are that are um, voting for their independence. So the way he saw it is that Russia would have wouldn't have supported a Crimean independence vote if there weren't an immediate threat to uh, the people living in Crimea, to the Crimeans themselves. And this threat, mm-hmm. the Russians saw as being basically what, what was going on, what you could see already happening in East Ukraine, in uh, the Donbass, and the threat that. Uh, and the kind of acknowledged threat that there were right sector and other kind of crazy neo-Nazis that were planning to move into Crimea and basically crack heads and worse. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with Ossetia and Abkhazia, um, like in Georgia, the only reason they supported those independence movements was because the, the ethnic Russians there were um, basically getting beaten and killed by the Georgian government at the time. Mm-hmm. So they would say that was that or Rogozin at least he would say the only the only time he would personally support any kind of movement like that is when there is an imminent threat like almost like a, a, a ethnic cleansing or genocidal threat almost um or you know not necessarily to that extent but a threat of that type where an independence movement should be supported. So mm-hmm. um so do we have any thoughts on that like what when does an, an independence movement become like, like legitimate? Should they always be legitimate? Are there, um, is it just all um, like, you know, political contingencies like, like with mm-hmm. Kurdistan, which we'll get into, no one supports the Kurdistan um, referendum except Israel. And so in that case, it's just like, well, why are you even doing it in the first place? And since you have no support, then you probably shouldn't have done it and you, you shouldn't expect anything in return. Um, or, you know, should, should people always and everywhere have the, have the, the right to, to vote independence if they have their own reasons? I don't know if it's a tricky, a tricky topic, but maybe we can get into that a little bit. What do you think? Well, I, 
I think it, it has to be on a case-by-case basis, and each case is very, each case can be very different. I mean, in the case of Kurdistan, uh, it's kind of, it's got nothing. I mean, of course, Kurdistan, the Kurds in, Kurds in Iraq and Turkey and Iran and those three mainly, not so much in Syria, but yeah, Kurds in that area have had a long term aspiration for independence but they've never got it and uh, of course they fought with Turkey, they've been fighting with Turkey for quite a long time for some kind of independence or whatever uh, in Turkey but the current situation in Kurdistan in Syria, uh, in Iraqi, Iraqi Kurdistan and the moves to kind of you know, carve something out of of Syria is, has got far more to do with the whole kind of grand scale geopolitical game between Russia and uh, between the US and 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 its enemies, let's say Russia, Iran, the axis of the new axis of evil, basically. Um, so, so it's 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 not really it's not legitimate in that sense in terms of it happening. Now, I mean, the only the only way Kurdistan could have any any Kurdish Kurdish groups could have an independent country or state or whatever in either you know Turkey, Iran, Iraq, and Syria would be in time of times of peace where it was negotiated with those with with the with the central authorities in the state mm-hmm. uh, in which they live, and of course, this is this relates, I suppose, to Catalonia in the sense that the Catalans would say that they had attempted to negotiate. Uh, they did negotiate with the Spanish authorities ten years ago, uh, and they were granted via the High Court uh, some concessions that gave them more independence. But then they were overturned by the uh, Conservative Party in, in Spain and. So they were, you know, this is why they're, uh, this is why they feel justified in, in, in doing it, of course, you know. But I don't know, I mean, if I was to take a stand on it, I mean, despite the fact that I said, you know, there's so much corruption around Western, politi- in Western politics uh, these days that anything that shakes up the, the order is, is a good thing. I'm not really sure that it's a good thing. I mean, if, if anyone's going to get independence in Spain, it should be the Basque country and the people in the Basque country. They're 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 first in line, basically. You know, um, if if any independence was to be handed out, but at the same time, I mean, it's not just about again looking at the other side, at the other, you know, the other side of the argument. The, the Spanish authorities there, and and this is the same for any authorities in any kind of country that uh, were where a part of that country has a claim to independence or other parts of the country, or, you know, a kind of federation of, of states, even like the USA or in Spain, you have these kind of autonomies in Spain, for different regions, different countries. I mean, in France, you even have, I mean, in theory, you could have a, a separatist movement for the, for the Bretons in north, northwestern France, you know. I mean, they have a, a solid case as well by, the, by these standards, you know. But the problem for central authorities in any of these cases is that once one goes, then yeah. that where does it stop? Yeah, I mean, you end up with you don't have a Spain anymore. You have a group of different carved up uh, independent states. You know, Spain, uh, and is that a bad thing? I don't know. It's change. It would, in a certain sense, be going back to the way it was, you know, a few hundred years ago. Um, so much of it is subjective. Yeah, where the nation state border came up. I mean, well, it, yeah, look at the inf- Middle East. The Middle East is infamous because a hundred years ago. London and Paris decided that it would be this line, this line, this line. You go there, I take here. Oh, we'll create an Israel here too. Um, it's so subjective. It's it's the argument for keeping the status quo 
anywhere, in this case the Middle East, is simply that, well, it has been that way now. Systems are set up. Habits are created. Right. And people will, will rethink their culture. They'll re, re, rewrite their history in line with it. it it's, it's not such – it's it's typical. It's not that, oh, what about the true history? I don't want to get back to that. But there never was a true history for anyone in the end. No matter how far back you go, it ends up being built on sand. Um, if you were to take – if you were to look at, look at the world map. So oh, open up a world map, right? A, a political map where you see all the lines of all the countries. And it, it's, it's, it's a color scheme, so you know it's slightly different colors, so you see it clearly. Now, if that's, that's what, 190-some, 200 nation states, as currently is configured. Now, if we were to try to objectively, and we could spend some time discussing what criteria we would say ought to be a nation state, but in the end, we'd agree on some criteria, ethnic, linguistic, cultural, etc., historical. You're going to tread on someone's toes. You're going to, well, you're going to tread on someone's toes, of course, but let's say you miraculously came up with the proper configuration according to an objective criteria. The world map you'd be looking at would be thousands of countries, mm. and it would be like a patchwork quilt, so because it would be totally broken up all over the place. That's that's the kind of underlying reality based on how people see themselves. Oh, I'm I'm in this nation state, but I see myself as this kind of person. I speak the lingo. I'm this is my local. That's my sort of real country, my home country. It's identity politics. Yeah, it's group identities, you know, that can be provoked in, in people very easily. You and, know, they can be cut up at many, many thousands of ways. Um, and where, I, where would it end? <clears throat> yeah. And I think whenever you see people unhappy or unsettled in these situations and, and where they start identifying in, in, into groups and stuff and saying it's us against them and voting for independence or, or having referendums for independence and stuff, that it probably is to do with some kind of underlying dissatisfaction or disenchantment amongst the people in general, you know, with something. And we've suggested that it might be to do with a, a general awareness of, of corruption, the level of corruption in politics <clears throat> that gives people a reason to get out and start identifying to, to fall into to start into a new tabula rasa. Yeah. Or start from zero. And, yeah, and, and start, I mean, there's a certain threat or a certain feeling of, of a need to, uh, there's a, the need to uh, adhere strongly to some group identity that is separate from another tends to occur in times of general social chaos or or, 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 or disenchantment or something wrong with society, you know, where people then feel uh, they seek to protect themselves or feel more secure or more safe by retreating further into a, a stronger identity, you know, and that that plays into, obviously, an independence movement, right? Um, I mean, we see this, this whole, the whole idea of identity politics and stuff and, and people being separated into and fractured left ever, and right. A constant and, regression yeah. of fractured this way, that yeah. way. Oh, I have an intersectional, you know, I'm part of this and this and this and this and this and they all stack up and right. that's what makes me who I am. Right. <laughs> it's, it's sharply identifying yourself, you know, very, along very, very well-defined lines, you know, in, and clearly in opposition or by definition in opposition to other groups, you know. It's, it, that in itself is a recipe for social chaos, you know. When you start to divide, the, divide uh, draw those lines very sharply between groups within the society, well, 
you know, you're, you're asking for trouble there, you know, and that seems to happen. That in itself is the source of chaos, but it also seems to happen at a time when chaos is, or, or general discontent, there's general discontent in society, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, in good times, when people are happy, uh, they t- tend not to think about that because, well, why would you bother, you know, don't need to. I don't need to feel like I need to protect myself within uh, with a group identity and retreat into that and start kind of rabble rousing against others and stuff and demanding things for me and my group against those other groups. I mean, in good times, you don't need that. So that suggests that we're not in good times when, when this is happening across mm-hmm. the Western world mm-hmm. in particular. And we've, well, we've yeah, talked about this one a country. little bit uh, in, in, the, in the U.S. where uh, Texas and Vermont and other uh, states have, have been making motions towards uh, succeeding, seceding from the Union. California. California. I mean, these are all, um, you know, you can argue that, that these are states where you have a certain number of, uh, of people who are politically involved who are seeing the big picture uh, i.e., you know, centralized government and where things are going um, on the whole and and saying that they don't want any part of this larger system anymore. Uh, they want to, you know, they don't want to be, you know, there's something kind of sick about the, the, the direction that everybody's being steered towards. Um, yeah. Uh, war, uh, uh, economic... Uh, um, uh, depression, uh, all sorts of things. I mean, uh, Texas has been making, um, I think they've been trying to uh, increase their store of gold uh, so that their their state is, is healthier financially. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we do have to see it as a kind of case by, on a case-by-case basis. And, um, and in contrast to the ill health indicated by the symptoms of, fracturing disintegration in the US, in Europe, we have Russia, which was in a similar state of ill health in the 90s. Chechnya, Dagestan, uh, Kazan was about to break away right next to Moscow, um, turned around with some element of definitely um, not so much head, well, obviously there was war in Chechnya, um, not so much beating of heads, but definitely a big show of force. And uh, uh, a very strong realization, not just with Putin, but with the elites uh, who came with him, I suppose, or got him in in the first place, that the remaining, the keeping Russia, Russian Federation integrated was critical to the health of the whole system because it was just going to snowball into fragmentation and disease across the whole body politic after that. So they're absolutely sure that um, the only way they could save anything of Russia was to save all of it as it stood then. Right. Yeah, but just to answer your question, Harrison, I think as a general rule, uh, independence movements are justified uh, along the lines that uh, the Russians have said uh, were, mm-hmm. were, the, were the people in, in a particular area of a, of a country are, are threatened by the central authorities, or if they're being treated or have been being treated for quite a long time as kind of second-class citizens, you know, and are genuinely not, um, you know, enjoying the the the, the aspects of, or, 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 yeah, rights of, of equal rights uh, that all other citizens in, in that state enjoy when you, I mean, that's, I mean, any state, any responsible state would not allow that to happen. 
because they're asking for trouble, right? You shouldn't. You should work towards incorporating, uh, um, or work work towards give providing uh, equal rights, such as they are, to everybody within your borders. If you don't do that, if you alienate one group of people for whatever reason, it doesn't matter if it's historical or if they're different. These people have, have a, you know, speak a different dialect or whatever. Uh, you should, you can do a lot to quelling any kind of uh, rabble rousing for independence or anything like that by um, providing with equal rights and not making them feel like they are they are discriminated against or or treated as second class citizens. That was the case, for example. Well, I mean, and you look at what um, how the Russians dealt with. Uh, independence, the independence movement in Chechnya, apart from actually having a war, certainly having the war didn't, I mean, a war such as the, the, the Russians waging against, Chech, against Chech, Chechen uh, separatists uh, wouldn't necessarily have, uh, just because you beat people down, doesn't uh, make them accept you as their, as their ruler. I mean, that usually it, it can provoke more, more insurrection. Uh, but what Russia did in Chechnya was that it threw like billions and billions of dollars into the country and totally transformed Chechnya, that part of the Chechen Republic as it is now, of Russia, transformed it into a modern kind of shiny city, uh, Grozny, the capital, turned it into a, a great place. And anybody who's gone there has gone, oh my God, who was there previously said they can't believe the transformation in this place. And you don't have any more uh, separatist um Sentiment mm-hmm. in 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 because people are are happy enough, they're being treated well enough, and they're happy enough with what they have. Yeah, um, and the Russians they also having... made they also made common cause with some of the rebels themselves, the separatists, like right. the Kadyrov the Kadyrov clan. Like they basically you know found common cause and got them on their side, and then you know one they they didn't install like a you know a Russian imposed you know um, you know Moscow imposed no government of composed of russians like they found the chechens to 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 actually um work with them mm-hmm. so of course that's not the case in catalonia <laughs> catalonians aren't within spain aren't treated as second class citizens they're they're actually the wealthiest amongst the wealth, wealthiest people in, in 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 spain so but it seems to be that's their cause for for demanding independence which is that mm-hmm. uh you know we're giving a lot of money to the rest of spain and which is, you know, a bit, I suppose, a bit mealy-mouthed, a bit kind of mean in that sense, um, and that certainly Catalonians aren't suffering in the way that other countries who have claimed independence or other parts of countries who have claimed independence uh, were suffering. So on that score, yeah, I don't think there's an argument. I don't think they're, it's, it's a justified uh, yeah. movement, you know? It's the same thing in, with Bavaria, one mm. of the wealthiest parts of Germany. They're just just their rationale for shits and giggles, basically. You know, <laughs> well, they they, they, they claim sense. they're justified. We're tired of paying for, in this case, the east, heavily subsidised in the east after reunification, right. yeah. and beyond Germany. In fact, Germany effectively subsidises parts of Europe because of the, its enormous footprint in the EU. But yeah, well, somebody posted in the chat room here. Somebody posted a a link to actually to Julian Assange's Twitter account where he's posted a picture. Uh, a map of Catalonia with uh, dots on it and it's covered in dots, which are the polling stations. And um, the green dots are the dots where the polling stations are open and the red dots are the polling stations that are closed. And there's probably about 90, I'll estimate here, about 97, 
or 98% of the polling stations are still open. If it, if that's the case, and all those people were, and a lot of people actually went to vote anyway, and the videos we've been seeing 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 today are only uh, in a few isolated cases of police beating heads and stuff. If the vast majority of people actually voted and were able to vote unimpeded, then it seems like um, they, they could claim that the referendum was able to go ahead. Mm. The next step, though, is Madrid doesn't recognize it, and then no one else will. Yeah. So you're stuck, yeah. No other country, the EU won't. Yeah. Shouldn't. I don't think it uh, won't. But they may, they may, they may just play a waiting game in that sense where they can claim independence and but then how do you put the, put the structures in place you know do you just I mean you have to actually enforce that you know you, that you may end up in kind of pitch battles you know between I mean how do you you'd have to get local Catalonian police on your side even I mean is there a section of the armed forces uh, of the military the Spanish military that are Catalonian I don't, I don't know enough about the military to know whether or not the military is divided uh, in the same way that the police kind of are you know where the I don't think so I think the military in Spain is pretty much centralized and any military bases in, in Catalonia are part of, are stationed by troops from, from anywhere. Uh, so, but you'd have to get the military, a bunch of military personnel uh, and, and military leaders uh, who are also pro-independence. All of this should have been done in advance. You know what I mean? If, they had, if the only thing about doing this now, I would have, I mean, if I was, if I was the president of the Catalonian parliament, I would have done a lot more, uh, assuming he hasn't done it, I would have done a lot more to prepare for, uh, yeah, you know, the, for, the only way forcing hold, holding independence by force. The only way Crimean one happened right. is because there were already Russian troops there, and they just needed to go out and walk around. Right. <laughs> and, and so, yeah. in, in the end, and, and that was he got. Con- that's what Putin was condemned for. While you invaded the country for no, no, that's a mischaracterization. There were already troops there, mm-hmm. and. What's left unsaid by the critics of Russia for doing that is that that's the only way that the democratic expression could have taken place and and been fulfilled because it was backed up by this big stick, such as democracy. Um, on the on the the rationale that Harrison described for why the Russians uh, how this guy this this former deputy PM. Um, explains Russia's position on a case-by-case basis. That was also the rationale for the U.S., NATO, the West, justifying Kosovo, by the way, Mm -hmm. where I believe no referendum took place. Uh, They just unilaterally decided it was the case. And, of course, it was done on the justification that, well, there's a severe and imminent threat to the population from Serbia which was not objectively true, that was concocted because of preceding events. Remember the whole, oh, they're killing, they're killing, they're, they're, they're waging um, genocide against Kosovo Albanians, which was not happening. And they certainly, they weren't leaving in droves until after bombing started, NATO bombing. So they, they used the same rationale, but they had to manipulate the facts on the ground to, to make it plausible. And that's the difference with the Russians. They don't need to do that because they can use that same rationale and actually have 90-some percent of, or 80-plus percent of Crimeans support them because the facts on the ground match what they're saying. Anyway, so that's just another side note. Maybe we well, should... Get, yeah. 
you move on to Kurdistan for a bit? Yeah. Yeah. So um, maybe just as a, a preface, just a, a short summary of what went down. So the, re- the referendum was held earlier this week. 92.6% or something uh, apparently voted yes. Um, a bit about a bit of background on the issue. Um, during the war uh, against ISIS for the past few years, um, if we recall back to 2014, when I believe it was 2014 when ISIS took over Mosul, um, basically the 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 Kurds, um, just like well, the Iraqi government or the Iraqi forces fled, and um, the the Kurds kind of just sat back and and watched. And what has happened in the years since is that the the Kurds have fought mostly a um, defensive war against ISIS, not really going out of their way to help the Iraqi armed forces, and have also kind of taken a lot of territory um, along the way. And that include and one of the corollaries of of that happening is that um, I think. On the order of millions of Arabs and Yazidis and um, kind of non-Kurdish groups have fled those regions and left them uh, mostly Kurdish now. So in Kirkuk, for example, that that participated in the referendum, um, it voted overwhelmingly yes, but um, millions of uh, citizens from Kirkuk were not in the in the region anymore, they had fled to either Turkey or Syria or other uh, places in Iraq, and you know were not able to or didn't vote. Um, so, on the one hand, we have this this referendum of uh, you know ninety two plus percent people voting yes, Kurds voting yes. On the other hand, um, it is like uh, a soft version of ethnic cleansing in the sense that um, all the kind of minority groups have been. Uh, pushed out of the region and leaving a mostly you know Kurdish population with territory expanded to then vote on this issue so um, as we've said previously uh, today the Iraqi government deems the the referendum illegal they have been having military drills not only with Turkey but also with uh, Iran um, to deal with with the potential fallout Erdogan in Turkey has threatened to quote you know turn off the tap of um, Kurdish oil, and that is the primary, if not the only, basically pipeline, uh, you know, tap to get their oil out and to uh, to their markets. And one of their markets, of course, is Israel. So if Turkey shuts off the tap, that will turn off uh, Kurdistan's revenue, um, and most of their money is from oil um, or gas. And the Kurdistan does most of its um, you know, gets most of its imports from Iraq and the neighboring countries. So basically, it looks like Barzani, the the head of the Kurdistan regional government, has kind of um, what you know potentially really shot himself in the foot because he's just made enemies out of all of his partners and everyone in the region. So uh, and no other country has has um, <clears throat> accepted the validity or of the of the referendum. Israel has been the only country that has come out in support. And of course, there's a whole history there. Uh, we may or may not get into that. But um, at least those are my kind of first thoughts on the issue. Uh, do you guys have anything else to say right now? Well, you mentioned uh, a kind of uh, minor ethnic cleansing. Um, th- there have been reports of 500,000 Yazidis in, uh, in, in these uh, Kurdistan regions who are basically told uh, vote for us for the referendum, 
or we're going to kick you out of here. Uh, so, so there's that. There's not exactly. It's not exactly as, as democratic as they would uh, like like it to seem uh, in the eyes of the world. Um, you mentioned that Israel is uh, the only country in the world that that has been um, for this uh, referendum. Uh, maybe we'll get a little bit into the long uh, history that that's kind of not so well known. Uh, between the Kurds and uh, and Israel to mm-hmm. to give some idea as to you know because this all plays into um, you know one of the main criticisms of, of this especially among uh, uh, Nasrullah head of Hezbollah and, and other leaders Erdogan uh, is that this is only going to um, further fracture and uh, create the conditions on the ground for more war in the Middle East and and. Even Trump has come out and sort of said that, even though the the acts of the U.S. military are in contradiction to to his uh, to his statements. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, this story goes back a few decades. Uh, you had uh, Papa Barzani uh, visiting uh, with and being visited by elements of the Mossad and the Israeli government going back to the '60s. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Israel has always worked towards uh, fractioning, uh, fractionalizing uh, groups and, and trying to subvert uh, Iraq in particular. Um, when the Ba'athist Socialist Party came into power in, in the mid-1960s, um, Israel saw this as a, as a great threat to its uh, regional hegemonic goals. Um, and of course, the, the Kurds were right there. Uh, the Kurds were also in Syria. Uh, where you know the, the the plan to divide up Syria uh, has been long-standing. The Uded Anon uh, or Elaine Anon uh, plan. Uded Anon. Uded Anon. Yes. So um, they they unfortunately, uh, even if they do have these uh, aspirations, um, which might be perfectly natural in some sense, uh, to have their own lands across the northern parts of Syria and Iraq, uh, they they are in fact um, using Israel and being used by Israel to to further create inroads uh, into what would be uh, oil pipelines and uh, and leverage against the Iraqi governments and and uh, the government of uh, Assad. Uh, so that that's part of the backdrop right there, um, and. The only reason Israel has come out so strongly and so obviously in support of a a Kurdistan. Yeah, well, maybe just another th- couple things to consider. Um, Barzani um, is um, well; he's seen by many in the region, including different Kurdish groups like the um, like the Syrian Kurds, the YPG, as like a stooge. Um, mm-hmm. They don't really respect him, and in and even in Iraqi Kurdistan itself, there's kind of a, a rift between um, the two uh, main areas or cities, Erbil and I can't pronounce the second one. It's like Suleimanalia <clears throat> or something like that. Um, two kind of rival um, clans, and Barzani is kind of the the one at the top at the moment. And like Ilan, you mentioned his his father, so th- this clan family kind of goes back for years and um, kind of so does go back to the origins of kind of the modern Iraqi state 
and all the conflicts that it has had since then. So starting in the 60s, um, Israel did support um, support Barzani and against the against Saddam Hussein and um, and just and all the Baathists, Baathists of the time. And the Israelis actually trained the Peshmerga, the the Kurdish militias who are you know active today and who just yesterday said that they will um, you know defend Kurdistan and prevent any invasion from the Iraqi army if they try to come into Kirkuk. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, and even among Kurds, like Barzani's is kind of <clears throat> he's well he's kind of a crooked guy. I mean, it's not like he's a um, uh, a stellar leader or anything. Um, there's reports of just a ton of corruption in Kurdish politics. The, the, mm. the Kurdish government is supposed to, like, essentially, I, I don't know if it's pensions per se, but they're supposed to pay out, uh, you know, money to the Kurdish peoples, and they, the Kurdish government hasn't done so. And so the Iraqi government has done something clever. They've said, okay, well, um, if we figure this out, and if if you guys don't accept the the referendum, then we will pay like your salaries and your pensions because the Kurdistan government hasn't done it. And, you know, do you think they'll do it now? And so kind of trying to put a rift between the, the Kurdish people and the, you know, their current leader, there's that to consider. Um, what else? There, there's just, well, there's just they're, so much. They're really, they're still they're really dodgy. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say they, they stole five or $6 billion yeah. from, from the Iraqi banks, yeah. which uh, a body was willing to forgive. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, after this referendum there, he's like, no, you know, you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're acting up even more and we're trying to be reasonable with you. You're going to pay it back. Yeah. And plus th- that, uh, Barzani has been leading for like for the past several years. I don't know if it's been four or six years, um, like pretty much illegally, like his, his term of office ended several years ago and he's just been, you know, still been in power. Um, kind of like, well, it reminds me of what, what went on in Yemen before the, the conflict there. But, um, so, I mean, it's just a, if you look at it, it's, it looks like a kind of just, this is Barzani's move for whatever reason. Um, you know, he must have, he must think he has a good reason, but when you look at all of the, everything else that's going on in the situation that he finds himself in and that the Kurds find themselves in, in Iraq, it just seems like a really bad idea. You know what the reason is? I got a book that says the reason (laughs) is Israel is so freaked out, uh, from what's been happening in Syria, having having basically lost the chance of ousting Assad and, and dividing things, that uh, they probably egged them on. They probably mm-hmm. said, here's your big chance. You have the U.S. military supporting elements of, of the Kurds uh, in, in securing oil fields west of, uh, east of the Euphrates. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the U.S. will take it a step further and, and uh, actually come out in support of you. You got to do this. And and we'll support you. We'll yeah. come out and we'll say, you know, you guys, uh, we're all for a... Everyone listens to us. Yes. Yeah. Mm. So I bet it was Israel. That's my buck. Yeah, well, I wouldn't be surprised if it was... I mean, obviously Israel is probably the only one to support it and stuff, but what were you going to say, Neil? Um, a, few, a few things. So you go on ahead. Um. No, I think I think Barzani, like you're saying, is a bit of a crude character, and nobody thinks that he's uh, even the people. A lot of people in Kurdistan don't think, in Iraqi Kurdistan, don't think he's uh, um, a vi- he can like the current Iraqi Kurdistan government is a is a viable government to kind of uh, establish a new uh, independent Iraqi Kurdistan around. And you notice that all of the powers, not like Iran, Iraq, Syria, um, 
Turkey, Russia, Turkey, Russia, and even the US. The US have said that they're against it. Although I'm not sure the US tends to lie a lot, so I'm not sure that they're they're just saying that to be politic about it. But I think behind the scenes they might actually be supporting it along with Israel yeah. in that sense, because of course these two groups, particularly Israel and the US, their main goal at this point, their plan B. Uh, but Israel's long-term plan has been in supporting the Kurds has been to. Uh, encourage the creation of a Kurdish state uh, that they can control as a kind of block to the expansion of Iran and uh, you know the, the connections that Iran, Iraq, uh, Turkey, and Syria might uh, create to basically create a new a new um, a new p- uh, power structure in the Middle East that would be not be good for Israel. Israel likes the power structure in the Middle East right now with its its head chopper, its decapitator friends in in Saudi Arabia. Israel's quite happy with them and the current status, which is of particularly since particularly since two thousand three when America invaded the Middle East, that was Israel just loved that. You know, I mean, the more destabilized and wrecked uh, the countries around Israel are, the happier Israel is. Uh, so, peace and stability, and particularly secular governments in the Middle East, uh, are a really bad thing for for Israel and always have been. They've known that for for decades. Uh, I mean, debathification you mentioned in Iraq. They use the term debathification, but that was really uh, de-Islamification, i.e. bathification. But the Ba'ath Party was effectively a largely secular party, a largely secular socialist party in Iraq, and that the Ba'ath movement, uh, the Ba'athist movement in um, in the Middle East was was a real threat to Western uh, and Israeli hegemony in the Middle East and control of the Middle East because um, these people, the Israelis, do much better with hardline uh, Islamist regimes in the Middle East uh, because they're, well, they're basically ideological you know, buddies, basically they're, they're a common cause, you know, they're both kind of extremists and also the Israelis can use the example of hardline Islamic uh, groups in the Middle East uh, as evidence for why Israel needs to, to be there and, and why Israel is under, under threat from these groups from extremist Islam. So if, if if kind of peace and secular peace and prosperity ever broke out in countries around the Middle East, it would be a really bad day for Israel. Um, but in terms of the Kurds, the Israelis, yeah, the Israelis want the Kurds and their their long term, uh, their kind of traditional homeland. Let's say if you look at maps from the nineteen twenties, uh, you know, Kurdistan was mostly in Turkey, really, uh, but maybe into a little bit of Syria and Iraq and stuff. I mean, the maps have always changed because you know they were never defined before until after the Second World War, as we know. Um, but that was always uh, kind of in the back of uh, the US's and the Brits and, and the Israelis' minds for the Middle East was that if need be, we can encourage Kurdish, Kurdish independence and then control that state um, basically as a block to the expansion of um, particularly Iran. You know, Israel loves to hate on Iran, you know. So, yeah. Um, in this context, this issue, it should be pointed out there never was a Kurdistan. This is a no. modern term. The term Kurdish is modern. Um, Kurd only first appears, you know. It doesn't even mean, it's not even an ethnic distinction when it's first used in the text from like medieval times. It's, it's I, I'm not sure, I think it's a tribal reference. It, it, it's not a people. It might be now, but it's after a lot of. Well, the, the, the problem is that they were never incorporated after after the fall of the Ottoman Empire and after the Second World War or the First World War. They were never 
all these other groups and these lines and maps were drawn, you know, Syrians, Syrian people, the Iraqi people, blah, blah, blah. Um, the Kurds at that time who were promised that they would have their lines on a map and their homeland weren't given it. So, I mean, before that, these were just groups of people who lived in kind of in the Ottoman Empire and under no defined states really whatsoever, apart from just tribal groups, etc. And there's a lot of mixing and stuff, particularly in the in the in the Western kind of Middle East uh, towards the Mediterranean. And uh, the the maps were all drawn after the second world, after the First World War, and the Kurds were were left out effectively. And they, I suppose they have been. I mean, they have been a problem. What's the source of their of their antagonism towards the Turks? You know, the Turks. They've been fighting with the Turks for decades. You know, uh, that that suggests that they have some kind of a identity for themselves. You know, well, and that could have been incorporated. They could have been incorporated into a state of their own or somewhere else where they'd be happier. But they weren't. They were stuck into Turkey, part of Iraq, part of Iran. You know, I mean, that's the official story. You know. And it's, but the thing is, not such a new thing in the sense that it's been around for 100 years, let's say. Um, well, Wikipedia says the Kurdish chiefdoms were several semi-independent entities which existed from the 16th to the 19th centuries. Right. Sandwiched, that's my word, but in a state of continuous warfare against the Ottoman Empire to the west and the Safavid Iran mm-hmm. to the east. At times, siding with either of them. Right. Um, the Kurdish principalities were almost always divided and entered into rivalries against each other. Mm. Right up until World War One, what we today call Kurdish areas were generally under Ottoman rule. Mm. So yeah, it's just, it's super old. I mean, it's north more than just the twentieth century. Yeah. Um, just their their status quo. So. It, it's it's been made into a cause celebre <clears throat> out of out of consideration for Western interests mm. in how the, the end of the Ottoman Empire should should be managed. That, right. That's basically the history of the Middle East. The exactly. Middle East was stable for four hundred years or more, um, and then First World War. Britain decided, and Russia and others decided that them, oh, Turkey is a sick man of Europe is breaking up. Probably because that was naturally actually happening. It was disintegrating. And they took advantage of that to carve it up and say, you take that, you take no. that. And also because of all, uh, natural resources, oil coming online at that time in, uh, in a big way, you know. That's where all the the oil was basically and, and that's, that's the history of the Middle East. That's why. Uh, but, I mean, you could have a situation, for example, where if the Syrians hadn't been given a homeland, hadn't, if, they hadn't, if they hadn't drawn a map of Syria or the borders of Syria after the First World War, Instead, they had drawn the borders of Kurdistan, and the Syrians were incorporated into a Kurdistan or into Iraq or something like that, or into Turkey. You could have the Syrian Syrians now in the same place as the Kurds. You know, what I mean, that's how that's how that's how I kind of uh, nebulous it is in the sense of yeah. and how arbitrary arbitrarily they yeah. they, they drew those borders. You know, any of these groups who had been left out, who didn't for whatever reason get incorporated or de- didn't identify with. Uh, a new country like Iraq or, um, or 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 Syria or any of the others of like freaking of, of Jordan or or Saudi Arabia or any of these countries that were created, uh, any of those any of those people could be in the same position now as the Kurds in a certain sense. Mm, 
Yes and no. As I, as you see with that brief sweep of the last few hundred years, the Kurds have the status quo is that the Kurds are sandwiched between Turkey and Iran. So that's actually the normal state of affairs. And part of the reason is geography. It's extremely mountainous, all of it, nearly all of it. They have some plains in, in Iraqi Kurdistan, right, yeah. but the rest is mountains. These are yeah. mountain people, and they're probably constantly at war right. with the plains and the agricultural types the fertile, side of them. The Fertile Crescent, yeah, they weren't actually in that Fertile Crescent, I suppose, of uh, right. from, from between the two um, rivers and I didn't do a deep read, but they seem like a kind of gypsy people um, where there's no real clarity on who they are, what makes them Kurdish as opposed to something else. Mm. Um, this affinity with Israel is not just modern. It's very strange. They, they've written, a, they've sort of backdated a founding mythology for their nation, which goes like this. Um, the Kurds are descended from King Solomon's angelic servants who were sent, so to, am I. Who were sent <laughs> to Europe to bring him 500 beautiful maidens for the king's harem. However, when these had done so and returned to Israel, ancient Israel, I guess, the king had already died. As such, the jinn settled in the mountains, married the women themselves, and their offspring came to be known as the Kurds. What they're saying is that they're trying to write in an origin, a joint origin with Israel, with Jews. Um, and, and then by coincidence, uh, I was looking for stuff and I found this report from 2001. Study finds close genetic connection between Jews and Kurds. Now, independent of the objective you know, results of that study, my point is that there's a desire for affinity there that's beyond more than just the convenience that of you know current geopolitical needs. There's mm. some serious identification with them. And that would, that, you can imagine how that would set them apart. Where mm. people apart from mm. their Muslim majority, I mean, they're Muslims yeah. themselves, but from the um, Arabs in particular. Uh, okay, that's that's older stuff. Uh, something that really bothers me in the as the current situation stands is um, it's mentioned briefly in our current best of web by by Moon of Alabama. It's the um, really dodgy role that. Particularly, Barzani's people in Iraqi Kurdistan probably played with this whole ISIS scheme. I mean, mm. ISIS didn't just come out of nowhere. How did they just run over? It looks like there was complicity that they facilitate that Barzani's people helped set this up, and that this was a, a cover with a view to this kind of end result mm -hmm. to getting breaking away. Because oh, yeah. now the headlines are all. Well, we've we've dealt with the ISIS problem, but you know now now on to the next step. We've got to get independence for for Kurdistan, right? And I, I suspect um, he says in passing, the Iraqi Kurds under Barzani were complicit in the mid twenty fourteen ISIS takeover of Mosul, inhabited by Kurd, Kurdish speaking Yazidis. You remember remember the hype mm -hmm. about the poor Yazidis that are being driven out by this evil ISIS? Yeah, well they, the. The Kurds were probably involved in that big time as well. Um, Those Yazidis are most of them are Zoroastrian, Zoroastrian. Um, and there's that's just one subgroup. Then there's the Assyrians. The, the Kurds have been the Assyrians are supposedly descendants from the ancient Assyria as opposed to modern Syria. Mm -hmm. And these Assyrians, something like apparently 150,000 people were driven out in 2014. Mm. Um, yeah, they made a horrible mess. There's a big question about Kurdish. 
involvement. And if you think about it, look what's going on in Syria now. So ISIS is on the back foot and suddenly that whole third of the country is controlled by the Kurds. Mm. Uh, where did ISIS go? Oh, we took care of them. Mm. Just trust us. Yeah. If some, there's a, when you're under the cover of darkness and narratives and you don't present video evidence like the Americans and NATO's don't, NATO doesn't, how do we know who's a Syrian democratic force today therefore occurred in quotes and tomorrow he's ISIS and right. back around again. Yeah. So, Well, the, the Kurds were definitely complicit in with the US invasion of Iraq in, in 2003. You know what I mean? Kurdistan, the north, right. the, Iraqi Kurdistan, the north of Iraq basically was, was untouched largely by uh, those 10 years of occupation, you know? Um, so they, yeah. Too often did they find themselves um, with really bloody hands and some of their own leaders acknowledge this. I mean, um, the uh, Armenian genocide during World War I, uh, the Kurds were up to their necks in that too. Uh, Turkey gets the, the blame, but yet yeah, the so-called Kurds, as they, they were happily in, involved in the, in the exact same thing. Um, so, yeah, you forgive me for not feeling too much sympathy. Mm-hmm. Um, well, well, any, anybody whose who's plight is is uh, highlighted by by the U.S., by Western humanitarian intervention type uh, uh, organizations, and uh, and by the U.S. government at the same time, you gotta you gotta wonder. That's not to say those people aren't in some way suffering, but you surely should should hesitate before getting behind it. You know, uh, like that whole Rohingya thing in, over in, in Myanmar and uh, and Bangladesh is is an example of it. You know, it's just. Uh, it's sad, but uh, they, they ruin it. You know, the West ruins any genuine, any possibility for genuine humanitarian uh, activities because they're 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 piggybacking on it to achieve some uh, pretty nasty geopolitical agenda uh, that's no good for anybody. And those people who are the humanitarian cause celebre at any given time will just be dropped like a hot potato as soon as they're no use anymore. Yeah. And that's probably the same thing with the Kurds. The Kurds are idiots. I mean, any Kurds that are, are who are joining with the U.S. and thinking that the U.S. is going to uh, or Israel is going to really, you know, follow through and and create a create a, a Kurdistan for them and, and protect it are, are delusional. Like, I mean, you, you need to look at those people's those people's uh, track uh, track history or past history, you know, track record. Hmm. Well, um, the, I'll go ahead, Neil. Remember the guy who um, came up with that redrawn map of the Middle East, 2006, mm. Ralph Peters. He's now Fox News Warhawk commentator. He's a total psycho. Lieutenant, retired Lieutenant Colonel Ralph Peters is credited with publishing this map of the Middle East. You know, it's got the, the colors, the borders are all colored different way and Saudi Arabia is broken up. Uh, there's a Kurdistan in there. Yeah. And so on. Um just uh, just this past March, I found an op-ed from him in the New York Post. And uh, here he is. This is him pushing for Kurdistan. So he goes, up. <clears throat> in 2003 in Iraq, we had the chance, we, the U.S., had the chance to begin dismantling those phony states. He's referring to how they were carved up after World War One, in favor of justice and common sense. But inertia and short-term fears defined our diplomacy. We didn't liberate Iraq. We perpetuated it. Isn't, isn't that an interesting comment? He's giving away that, that 
his he is a war, a war hawk, right? And probably had a lot of people thinking like him in the US. When they said we're going in to liberate Iraq, they meant we're going in to break it up. Like that was the idea from the beginning. We, we didn't liberate it, we perpetuated it. Now, 14 wretched years later, we continue to pretend that magically Iraq can achieve political health and that Syria should be preserved with a new head of state. We have taken the side of dead empires and injustice. Oh, my God. He's referring there to the former British and French empires, I guess. He goes on, what should we do? Discard our preconceptions for a start. Why shouldn't dysfunctional borders change? In fact, they're changing themselves. How many American lives is it worth to serve the vision of dead Europeans and grisly Arab dictators? We need not act to change those borders, but we shouldn't stand in the way. Mm. That is the difference between an existing region or maybe a former nation state having a claim to independence and actively carving up borders. Mm-hmm. You know, outside interests coming in to car- carve up borders, of course, in the name of justice and common sense, well, as they see it. Mm. With no regard to the chaos that results. Nope. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, maybe just a couple final thoughts. Uh, I'll give mine um, first on this Kurdistan issue. It's just been interesting to see that the immediate effects so far have seemingly been to push Iraq, Iran, and Turkey closer together. Now, of course, you have Iraq, which is ostensibly a U.S. ally. You have Turkey, which has been a U.S. ally, member of NATO, um, but which has been making <clears throat> you know, uh, moves closer to Russia and statements just kind of uh, turning off the, the EU and, and NATO, purchased the re- recently purchased the S-400 uh, Russian air defense system. Um, Erdogan recently said that uh, Turkey doesn't, doesn't any longer have any need or interest in becoming part of the EU. Um, and of course, both these countries are getting closer to Iran, which is the um, big bogeyman enemy of the United States. So uh, it's just been interesting for me to see um, these three nations kind of getting closer together, um, you know, in their um, common cause against Kurdistan. So possibly uh, um, an unintended or um, just negative consequence of this this referendum. Um, it, so it'll be inter- interesting to see if Turkey follows through on its threat to turn off Kurdish oil um, and just what happens in general, because um, um, I, I don't believe Kurdistan has yet you know, basically fully declared their independence. They still say the, the KRG still says they have to pick who will be their leader. Um, so well, They've also said that's non-binding. Right, right. They will have to discuss and figure yeah. out what's going to so happen. So I think they're, they're thinking twice about it now, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And any other final thoughts from our panel of hosts? If um, not... Did res- did they publish anything like a result in Catalonia? Um, Catalonia, not, um, not yet. No, don't think so. No, have to wait a little bit. But uh, we will be covering that on SOT, so everyone keeps SOT open twenty four seven. Make sure to compulsively check it. You know, every five minutes, like you do with Facebook uh, or Twitter. <laughs> uh, and we'll be back next week. So if there's anything big that happens that uh, that warrants discussion, be sure that we will be talking about it. So, everyone, thanks for tuning in, and take care. We'll talk to you all next week.
Alrighty then. Bye, See you next week. Bye. Bye bye. Don't declare independence. <laughs> I want my freedom. <laughs>